Volume two, part five of Herodotus's Histories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Histories, volume two, by Herodotus of Halicarnassus. Translated by E. D. Godley. Volume two, part five. Convinced that they alone were not able to repel Darius's army in open warfare, the Scythians sent messengers to their neighbors, whose kings had already gathered and were deliberating on the presumption that a great army was marching against them. The assembled kings were those of the Tari, Agathirsi, Nuri, Man-Eaters, Black Cloaks, Gilani, Budini, and Saramate. Among these, the Tari have the following customs. All shipwrecked men, and any Greeks whom they capture in their sea-raids, they sacrifice to the virgin goddess as I will describe. After the first rites of sacrifice, they strike the victim on the head with a club. According to some, they then place the head on a pole, and throw the body off the cliff on which their temple stands. Others agree as to the head, but say that the body is buried, not thrown off the cliff. The Tari themselves say that this deity to whom they sacrifice is Agamemnon's daughter, Iphigenia. As for enemies whom they defeat, each cuts his enemy's head off and carries it away to his house, where he places it on a tall pole, and stands it high above the dwelling, above the smoke-vent for the most part. These heads, they say, are set up to guard the whole house. The Tari live by plundering in war. The Agathirsi are the most refined of men, and especially given to wearing gold. Their intercourse with women is promiscuous, so that they may be consequent with one another, and— all being relations, not harbour jealousy or animosity toward one another. In the rest of their customs they are like the Thracians. The Nuri follow Scythian customs, but one generation before the advent of Darius's army, they happened to be driven from their country by snakes, for their land produced great numbers of these, and still more came down on them out of the desolation on the north, until at last the Nuri were so afflicted they left their own country, and lived among the Budini. It may be that these people are wizards, for the Scythians, and the Greeks settled in Scythia, say that once a year every one of the Nuri becomes a wolf for a few days, and changes back again to his former shape. Those who tell this tale do not convince me, but they tell it none the less, and swear to its truth. The man-eaters are the most savage of all men in their way of life. They know no justice and obey no law. They are nomads, wearing a costume like the Scythian, but speaking a language of their own. Of all these, they are the only people that eat men. The black cloaks all wear black clothing, from which they get their name. Their customs are Scythian. The Budini are a great and populous nation. The eyes of them all are very bright, and they are ruddy. They have a city built of wood, called Galanus. The wall of it is three and three-quarters miles in length on each side of the city. This wall is high and all of wood, and their houses are wooden, and their temples— for there are temples of Greek gods among them, furnished in Greek style, with images and altars and shrines of wood, and they honour Dionysius every two years with festivals and revelry. For the Galani are by their origin Greeks, who left their trading ports to settle among the Budini, and they speak a language half Greek and half Scythian. But the Budini do not speak the same language as the Galani, nor is their manner of life the same. The Budini are indigenous, they are nomads, and the only people in these parts that eat fir-cones. The Galani are farmers, eating grain and cultivating gardens. They are altogether unlike the Budini in form and colouring. 
Yet the Greeks call the Budini too Galani, but this is wrong. Their whole country is thickly wooded with every kind of tree. In the depth of the forest there is a great wide lake and a marsh surrounded by reeds. Otter is trapped in it, and beaver, besides certain square-faced creatures whose skins are used to trim mantles, and their testicles are used by the people to heal sickness of the womb. About the Saramate, the story is as follows. When the Greeks were at war with the Amazons, whom the Scythians call Oiorpata, a name signifying in our tongue killers of men, for in Scythian a man is Oori, and to kill is Pata, the story runs that after their victory on the Thermodon they sailed away, carrying in three ships as many Amazons as they had been able to take alive, and out at sea the Amazons attacked the crew and killed them. But they knew nothing about ships, or how to use rudder or sail or oar, and with the men dead they were at the mercy of waves and winds, until they came to the cliffs by the Mietin Lake. This place is in the country of the free Scythians. The Amazons landed there, and set out on their journey to the inhabited country, and seizing the first troop of horses they met, they mounted them and raided the Scythian lands. The Scythians could not understand the business, for they did not recognize the women's speech or their dress or their nation, but wondered where they had come from, and imagined them to be men all of the same age, and met the Amazons in battle. The result of the fight was that the Scythians got possession of the dead, and so came to learn that their foes were women. Therefore, after deliberation, they resolved by no means to slay them as before, but to send their youngest men to them, of a number corresponding, as they guessed, to the number of the women. They directed these youths to camp near the Amazons, and to imitate all that they did, if the women pursued them, not to fight, but to flee, and when the pursuit stopped, to return and camp near them. This was the plan of the Scythians, for they desired that children be born of the women. The young men who were sent did as they were directed. When the Amazons perceived that the youths meant them no harm, they let them be, but every day the two camps drew nearer to each other. Now the young men, like the Amazons, had nothing but their arms and their horses, and lived as did the women, by hunting and plunder. At midday the Amazons would scatter and go apart from each other singly or in pairs, roaming apart for greater comfort. The Scythians noticed this and did likewise, and as the women wandered alone, a young man laid hold of one of them, and the woman did not resist him but let him do his will, and since they did not understand each other's speech, and she could not speak to him, she signed with her hand that he should come the next day to the same place, and bring another youth with him, showing by signs that there should be two, and she would bring another woman with her. The youth went away and told his comrades, and the next day he came himself with another to the place, where he found the Amazon and another with her awaiting them. When the rest of the young men learned of this, they had intercourse with the rest of the Amazons. Presently they joined their camps and lived together, each man having for his wife the woman with whom he had had intercourse at first. Now the men could not learn the women's language, but the women mastered the speech of the men, and when they understood each other, the men said to the Amazons, We have parents and possessions, therefore let us no longer live as we do, but return to our people and be with them, and we will still have you, and no others, for our wives. To this the women replied, We could not live with your women, for we and they do not have the same customs. We shoot the bow and throw the javelin and ride, but have never learned women's work, and your women do none of the things of which we speak, but stay in their wagons and do women's work, and do not go out hunting or anywhere else. So we could never agree with them. 
If you want to keep us for wives and to have the name of fair men, go to your parents and let them give you the allotted share of their possessions, and after that let us go and live by ourselves. The young men agreed and did this. So when they had been given the allotted share of possessions that fell to them, and returned to the Amazons, the women said to them, We are worried and frightened how we are to live in this country after depriving you of your fathers and doing a lot of harm to your land. Since you propose to have us for wives, do this with us. Come, let us leave this country, and live across the Tanais River. To this, too, the youths agreed, and crossing the Tanais, they went a three days' journey east from the river, and a three days' journey north from Lake Metius. And when they came to the region in which they now live, they settled there. Ever since then the women of the Soromate have followed their ancient ways. They ride out hunting, with their men or without them, they go to war, and dress the same as the men. The language of the Soromate is Scythian, but not spoken in its ancient purity, since the Amazons never learned it correctly. In regard to marriage, it is the custom that no maiden weds until she has killed a man of the enemy, and some of them grow old and die unmarried, because they cannot fulfill the law. The kings of the aforesaid nations having gathered, then, the Scythian messengers came and laid everything before them, explaining how the Persian, now that the whole of the other continent was subject to him, had crossed over to their continent by a bridge across the neck of the Bosphorus, and how, having crossed it and subjugated the Thracians, he was now bridging the Ister, so as to make that whole region subject to him like the others. By no means stand aside and let us be destroyed, they said. Rather, let us unite and oppose this invader. If you will not, then we shall either be driven out of our country or stay and make terms. For what is to become of us if you will not help us? And afterward it will not be easy for you either, for the Persian has come to attack you no less than us, and when he has subjugated us he will not be content to leave you alone. We will give you a convincing proof of what we say. If indeed the Persian were marching against us alone, wanting vengeance for our former enslavement of his country, he ought to leave others alone and make straight for us, and would show every one that Scythia, and no other country, was his goal. But, as it is, from the day he crossed over to this continent, he has been taming all that came in his way, and he holds in subjection not only the rest of Thrace, but also our neighbors the Gete. After the Scythians had made this speech, the kings who had come from the nations deliberated, and their opinions were divided. The kings of the Galani and the Budini and the Saromate were of one mind, and promised to help the Scythians. But the kings of the Agathirsi and Nuri and Maneaters and Black Cloaks and Tari gave this answer to the messengers. Had it not been you who wronged the Persians first and began the war, what you now ask would seem to us right, and we would listen and act together with you. But as it is, you invaded their land without us, and ruled the Persians for as long as God granted, and the Persians, urged on by the same God, are only repaying you in kind. But we did these men no wrong at that former time, nor do we intend now to wrong them first. But if the Persian comes against our land too, and begins the wrongdoing, then we will not accept it either. But until we see that, we shall keep to ourselves. For in our judgment the Persians have not come for us, but for those who were the agents of wrong. When this answer was brought back to the Scythians, they determined not to meet their enemy in the open field, since they could not get the allies that they sought, but rather to fall back, driving off their herds, choking the wells and springs on their way, and destroying the grass from the earth, and they divided themselves into two companies. It was their decision that to one of their divisions, which Scopasus ruled, the Saromate be added, 
If the Persian marched that way, this group was to retire before him and fall back toward the Tanais River, by the Metean Lake, and if the Persian turned to go back, then they were to pursue and attack him. This was one of the divisions of the royal people, and it was appointed to follow this course. Their two other divisions, namely, the greater whose ruler was Edanthrusus, and the third whose king was Taxicus, were to unite, and taking with them also the Galani and Budini, to draw off, like the others, at the Persian approach, always keeping one day's march ahead of the enemy, avoiding a confrontation, and doing what had been determined. First, then, they were to retreat in a straight line toward the countries which refused their alliance, so as to involve these two in the war, for if they did not of their own accord support the war against the Persians, they must be involved against their will, and after that, the division was to turn back to its own country, and attack the enemy, if in deliberation they thought this best. Determined on this plan, the Scythians sent an advance guard of their best horsemen to meet Darius's army. As for the wagons in which their children and wives lived, all these they sent forward, with instructions to drive always northward, and they sent all their flocks with the wagons, keeping none back except what was required for their food. After this convoy was first sent on its way, the advance guard of the Scythians found the Persians about a three days' march distant from the Ister, and having found them they camped a day's march ahead of the enemy, and set about scorching the earth of all living things. When the Persians saw the Scythian cavalry appear, they marched on its track, the horsemen always withdrawing before them, and then, making for the one Scythian division, the Persians held on in pursuit toward the east and the Tanais River. When the horsemen crossed this, the Persians crossed also, and pursued until they had marched through the land of the Saramate to the land of the Budini. As long as the Persians were traversing the Scythian and Saramatic territory there was nothing for them to harm, as the land was dry and barren. But when they entered the country of the Budini, they found themselves before the wooden-walled town. The Budini had abandoned it and left nothing in it, and the Persians burnt the town. Then going forward, still on the horsemen's track, they passed through this country into desolation, which is inhabited by no one. It lies to the north of the Budini, and its breadth is a seven days' march. Beyond this desolation live the Thysagete, Four great rivers flow from their country through the land of the Metians, and issue into the lake called the Metian. Their names are Lycus, Orus, Tanais, and Sergis. When Darius came into the desolate country, he halted in his pursuits and camped on the Orus River, where he built eight great forts, the ruins of which were standing even in my lifetime, all at an equal distance of about seven miles from one another. While he was occupied with these, the Scythians whom he was pursuing doubled north and turned back into Scythia. Then, when they had altogether vanished and were no longer within the Persians' sight, Darius left those forts only half finished, and he too doubled about and marched west, thinking that those Scythians were the whole army, and that they were fleeing toward the west. But when he came by forced marches into Scythia, he met the two divisions of the Scythians, and pursued them, who always kept a day's march away from him and because Darius would not stop pursuing them, the Scythians, according to the plan they had made, fell back before him to the countries of those who had refused their alliance, to the land of the black cloaks first. The Scythians and Persians burst into their land, agitating them, and from there the Scythians led the Persians into the country of the man-eaters, agitating them too. From there they drew off into the country of the Nuri, and agitating them also, fled to the Agathyrsi. But the Agathyrsi, seeing their neighbors fleeing, panic-stricken at the Scythians' approach, 
before the Scythians could break into their land, sent a herald to forbid them to set foot across their borders, warning the Scythians that if they tried to break through, they would have to fight with the Agathyrsi first. With this warning, the Agathyrsi mustered on their borders, intending to stop the invaders. When the Persians and the Scythians broke into their lands, the black cloaks and man-eaters and nuri put up no resistance, but forgot their threats and fled panic-stricken north into the desolate country. But warned off by the Agathyrsi, the Scythians made no second attempt on that country, but led the Persians from the lands of the Nuri into Scythia. As this went on for a long time and did not stop, Darius sent a horseman to Identhyrsus, the Scythian king, with this message, "'You crazy man! Why do you always run when you can do otherwise? If you believe yourself strong enough to withstand my power, stand and fight and stop running. But if you know you are weaker, then stop running like this and come to terms with your master, bringing gifts of earth and water.' Edentherses, the Scythian king, replied, "'It is like this with me, Persian. I never ran from any man before out of fear, and I am not running from you now. I am not doing any differently now than I am used to do in time of peace, too. As to why I do not fight with you at once, I will tell you why. We Scythians have no towns or cultivated land, out of fear for which, that the one might be taken or the other wasted. We would engage you sooner in battle. But if all you want is to come to that quickly—' we have the graves of our fathers. Come on, find these, and try to destroy them. You shall know then whether we will fight you for the graves, or whether we will not fight. Until then, unless we have reason, we will not engage with you. As to fighting, enough, as to masters, I acknowledge Zeus my forefather and Hestia, queen of the Scythians, only. As for you, instead of gifts of earth and water, I shall send such as ought to come to you. And for your boast that you are my master, I say, weep, such is the proverbial Scythian speech. End of Volume 2, Part 5